Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, November 14th. It's going to be a very interesting and fun Sunday for all of us fans of the professional tennis world. Of course, we've still got one more WTA match on this season. It's going to be a really fun final between Arena Sabalenka and Elisa Mertens. We'll talk about how we got to that match on today's show. Of course, we also have the ATP World Tour Finals starting on Sunday in London. We're going to talk about those matches, preview the action, play a little game of Guess the Lines, and joining me on the show to do just that, as he so frequently does, you know him as our Crack Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis standout, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history, and of course, the forefather of the forehand slice, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing on this Saturday? Uh, not too bad. Uh, had a little uh, hitch with the, the AT&T Wi-Fi going out, but we're back. We're up and running, and so we're ready to go. <laughs> I am happy to hear that. I also heard you had to pull a Mikhail Torpegard today in terms of your club league match. Hopefully you are feeling well and getting back to things. Uh, I'm sure you are missing out on a Saturday of tennis. Yeah, it's a bummer. I hated to do it. Um, I just I woke up, didn't feel right. I got my flu shot, so I think it's probably just a reaction to that. But hey, you don't want to be that guy risking it at this point. So better to stay safe and not play. But yeah, missing the court for sure. No doubt. No, I love the precautions you're taking. I also feel like that's a perfect segue for our public service announcements. A, get a flu shot. It's really easy. You go to your local CVS. At some of them, it's like if you spend $10 there, you can also get a free flu shot. I don't know why you wouldn't do that, especially we're in the midst of a global pandemic. You don't want the flu on top of that. Go get your flu shot, people. It's very, very simple. But of course, the other public service announcements we want to make. The reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on the mini break, have so much fun, is because of the support we get not only from you fantastic listeners day in day out not only from our patreon family but of course from our friends over at midwest sports and aero bar and jamie i'm curious when you go from outdoor to indoor tennis are you someone who strings your racket a little bit tighter a little bit looser or do you like to stay consistent well this season uh, i feel like all the variables are up in the air because i recently just switched strings um so I, i i moved around something i'm trying out something i've never tried before um, so it's just a little bit different. But generally speaking, yeah, I'm uh, moving into a bit of a tighter zone. I'm up closer to 50, which is tight for me. So uh, I think I got my last couple strung for the indoor season at 49. So popped one of those, going to have to get another one done. But yeah, I mean, outdoor, if you're not stringing it like 45, ah, come on, that's nice. It is amazing to me that you say 50 pounds is a tight tension. I string mine at 57. Of course, you've seen my arms, uh, so maybe that makes sense to you now. Or maybe you'd see my arms and you'd think I should be stringing at 40 any ways. If you don't know exactly what you should be doing, I promise you our friends at Midwest Sports can help you find those answers. They've got experts in every topic, and of course, again, every selection of tennis equipment, every brand you could be looking for, you can find on their website, MidwestSports.com. You use the promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. CR15, of course, to make sure your nutrition is in the right place, turn to our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. More potassium than a banana. You know the deal by now. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACK15. Get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. Midwest Sports Aerobar Cracked Rackets. Look good, feel good, play good, and in the end, that's what it's all about. But With that in mind, let's talk about Saturday's action across the professional tennis world, and let's start with the match we had, the matches we had, excuse me, in Linz. It was a two-three-set semifinal day, two very, very fun matches. Of course, we are also on press row in Linz this week, so we'll have the chance to hear from our two winners on the day, and let's just go chronologically, Jamie. It was a really fun first semifinal between number two-seeded Elisa Mertens and number four-seeded Katerina Alexandrova, of course, those are two players we've talked about a lot here on this podcast throughout this 2020 season. Alexandrova, one of the standouts of the first two months of actions. Elisa Mertens, your wins leader during this 2020 WTA season. Perhaps it will surprise no one then that it was Mertens who was able to find the answers, come out on top in this one. She drops another first set. This is her third three-set match of four matches on the week, but finds a way to make the adjustments. 2-6, 6-1, 
0.175. Jamie, what's impressed me so much about Mertens this week, and she has played some power hitters, right? Kalanina, uh, Zvana Reva, Kuder Matova, now Alexandrova. They want to take the ball big, early, and flat down the line, and she has just done such a good job of incorporating variety of throwing different slices, different elevations, different degrees of topspin, while also maintaining an aggressive stance. I continue to be impressed by Mertens. Curious what you think. Yeah, this has been a really impressive run. Uh, You mentioned her ability to play against those bigger hitters and absorb the pace and, and really you know, inject a bit of variety into the game. And, and it's what we love to see, right? I mean, the first couple of sets of this kind of odd, um, right? Just complete inverses of one another, right? Mertens losing that first one, 6-2. Alexandrova just too good in the first set. But Mertens does a great job of really steadying the ship, getting things back on track. And then the third set, you know, is a real nail-biter, and, and Mertens just ends up, uh, you know, taking it but look for me i think mertens now what a good sort of run that she's had throughout this tournament to prepare herself to play somebody like sabalenka obviously they've played before in the past but getting in the rhythm of against somebody who can you know really flatten the ball out that's a great way to get ready for the finals and of course, Burton Sabalenka doubles partners as well, so there will be no mm-hmm. secrets going into that final. But <clears throat> excuse me for Alexandrova. The story of this match was just the decline in her first serve percentage. I mean, in set number two, she makes thirty-three percent of her first serves. Jamie, she won three of fifteen points on serve during that second set. Uh, to put it in Yiddish, that is nishkit. That is not very good for at Katerina Alexandrova. She was only at fifty-three percent in the third set. And, you know, for Lisa Mertens, and I'm going to ask you to put on your coaching hat here, Jamie, because something we've learned about her, she can just do so many different things well, right? It's her variety. It's the fact that she can throw different looks at you, that she moves really well across surfaces. And, you know, her floor as a tennis player match in, match out, about as high as you're going to find in the WTA Tour. And as we know, the WTA Tour is all about uh, variety. It's so often who's playing better on any given day. But if you're a Lisa Mertens, you know, what are the things you're looking, even before we talk about this Sabalenka match, what are the things you're looking at to, you know, what is she doing this offseason to maximize her strengths? Because right now she's number 20 in the live rankings. And for the wins leader in 2020 to be number 20 in the rankings, that feels a little bit ridiculous, especially since Mertens made a semifinal at the U.S. Open. But you look at the race to Shenzhen this season, you know, Elisa Mertens obviously has been a little bit better than that. She is up to, I believe, number nine in that race so she has been a top 10 player this season I don't know what do you think because I I still am unsure what her ceiling looks like what are the things you'd be working on yeah I think for me you know it's it all revolves around her service game um you know Mertens is going to be able to get into people's she's going to be able to dominate on return games you know if she's feeling it she's going to be able to get breaks when it happens it's just a matter of is she going to be able to hold enough to make those breaks really matter um, and so you see it in tight matches like this. I mean, she does a phenomenal job of really steadying things. Again, in that second set, obviously, Alexandrova opened the door for her by not serving very well. But I think on the Merton side, it's, it's you know, look, we talk about Novak Djokovic as that guy who is phenomenal at holding serve. Does he have the best serve in the world? No. But he knows how to use his serve effectively and set up points. And, and so in a similar sort of vein, I think Mertens needs to go to the drawing board and say, hey, you know what? I'm great in these return games. I understand. I can, you know, I can really be myself. I can swing out in these service games, look, I might not have the biggest serve, but how am I going to get myself free or good, solid settings for points off of my first serve? And look, matches like this definitely help today. She kept her first serve percentage um, at least decently high, and she won. She was effective on her first serve. Now, the second serve is... is uh, let's just say not good. Um, 35% um, across the match. Obviously, that fluctuates a ton given what we saw across sets one compared to two and three. But realistically, I mean, it's the second serve. Um, and to me, it's how does she set up that first strike tennis? Look, she's not going to be the most comfortable player dictating everything, and that's fine, but she still needs to be able to have a few set plays that can win her points um, at critical stages in the match off that serve. I'm so happy you said that because when I think about her, I think about the plus one backhand, and I'm like, that is a weapon. She can redirect that shot down the line or cross court and open up the court for herself, and then that allows her to be aggressive, to play with angles, to even throw in a drop shot or a backhand slice here or there. But yeah, 9 of 35 on second serve points, 26%. That's atrocious. That's just like, that. Uh, if you're playing a Naomi Osaka, if you're playing an Arena Sabalenka, they're going to feast on that second serve, and so you're absolutely 
absolutely right. Just making holding, uh, holding serve, making it that much easier for her. And that's been the story for her all week. Her first serve percentage has been in the 50% range. And so, you know, she's struggled. She's dropped a lot of first sets and that serve has gotten better throughout the match. And in fact, I had the chance to ask her about her serve, ask her what she plans to do, you know, or, you know, the things, how she's going to use that serve to uh, set up the rest of her game moving forward. Uh, We have the clip from that answer. So Westoff, roll it. Sorry, just making an edit. And then I'll bring this back in. Okay. But yeah, Jamie, to your point, I think for Elisa Mertens, again, that floor as a player for her, match in, match out, you know you are going to get a good effort every time. You know she is going to break at least once, probably at least twice during every match she plays. It's when she's playing the elite players with the big weapons, can she hold serve easily enough? Can she make things easy enough for herself that she's able to grind out those matches? Obviously, against Vika Azarenka in the semifinals, that answer was no, but we'll see what she has in the tomorrow as she is going to take on a red-hot Arena Sabalenka, the number one seed here, uh, playing her first three-set match of the week and escaping with a 7-5-4-6-6-3 win over Barbara Krechakova. Of course, Krechakova, one of the top five women's doubles players in the world, but has really come on of late in singles as well. And she threw a lot of looks at Sabalenka. She did her best to play offense, to get the ball off Sabalenka's racket. But, I mean, indoor hardcourt's Jamie, Arena Sabalenka, tough to say there's, you know, a more difficult out right now in the women's game. Congratulations on the win, Elisa. Um, looking at the numbers today, something you did struggle with was the second serve. I think some won something like only nine points on the second serve. What do you do between now and the start of the final to maybe try and get that to a place you want it to be? Yeah, I already practiced my serve after the match, so I'm good now, I hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, I got that in already. Um, but, yeah, just focus a little bit more on the warming up tomorrow. Just do some some stuff, some things. Um, and, yeah, just to be mentally prepared that they're going to attack my serve. Um, also trying to attack theirs, of course. But to just not give them any free points. Mm-hmm. And you've played a lot of big hitters here this week. Uh, obviously, that was the case again today. Uh, how have you felt you've responded to that style of play this week? What have you done to sort of offset the uh, big hitting of your opponents? Well, um, I guess today, I mean, the first set she served really well. It was very difficult to, you know, get them the advantage, especially when um, she was well serving. Um, but yeah, try to use the pace a little bit and try to mix it up. I think that worked today. But uh, yeah, I mean, just go with the flow and stay in the match is very important. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I mean, look, Sabalenka has looked phenomenal. And, and look, it's pretty interesting. You know, this is one of the big questions that you and I had. And, you know, look, not to toot our own horns here, but we look pretty good at this moment. We sort of saw this tournament as like, hey, is this thing going to go pretty much chalk? And you know, three of the four people in the semis, the one the one seed, the two seed, and the four seed. In the finals, you know, Sabalenka and Mertens, the one and two. And so this was the question, right? It was like, ah, it's either of these two players to lose. And, and they've lived up to their seeds, and now they're going to meet in the finals. But, you know, quickly, you know, obviously we've talked about Mertens. Let's go to the Sabalenka side. She has been so solid. Um, I will say I'm a little bit surprised at how close this match was. Um mm-hmm. You know, and that's not to discredit Krejcikova because she's obviously had a good run and she's looked to be in good form. But Sabalenka has just looked a notch above. So, you know, not surprising that she comes through in the third, but a little bit disappointing for me that Sabalenka lets the momentum slip and, and even forces it to go past two sets. Yeah, no, and to quickly, and our listeners won't hear this because we have fantastic editors, quarterfinals was when Azarenka beat Mertens, not the semifinals. Thank you to you, Jamie McDonald, for pointing that out. Thank you also for pointing out, I didn't want to have to be the one to boast about this. We nailed this. We said we think this event is going to go yeah. relatively chalk. We were like, we think the top three seeds, all or top four, whatever, all advance to the semifinals. And, you know, Alexandrova, Mertens, Sabalenka all coming through. And, yeah, for Sabalenka, here's the thing. I know this score 
scoreline in this match was close, but you look at some of the numbers, she's winning over 60% of both her first and second serve points. She was over 70% on the first serve. She was, you know, uh, she created 15 break point chances for herself, went for 15. Uh, for Krechakova, she won 73% of her first serve points, but was 14 of 39 on the second serve. You know, they had, uh, you know, it was four breaks for Sabalenka to three for Krechakova, but Sabalenka was in so many more of Krechakova's service games, and it was a credit to Krechakova. She seemed to be able to find a big first serve, find an ace, find a plus one ball in the big moments of these of this match. But Sabalenka, I was never worried. You know, I feel like one out of every three Sabalenka matches, if you're a fan of hers, you're telling yourself, okay, she's losing this one. And sometimes she manages to pull it out. And, you know, I just, I never felt that way in this match. I know she dropped that second set, but it really did feel like she was in control from start to finish. Yeah. she. I mean, look, she was in the driver's seat. You look at the second serve in particular, obviously you mentioned she was still so effective on that second serve, but she just got so many looks against the Krejcikova second serve. Um, and so that sort of relentless pressure, you're kind of like, okay, well, eventually this is going to give, right? Um, and though frustrating to watch because of the fact that Krejcikova saves 11 of 15 break points, you got to also just feel good and confident about Sabalenka because she knows that like, hey, you know what? I'm in each one of these serve games, right? There's there's no reason I can't break pretty much at will here. And so, yeah, of course, if she were to replay this, she would love to see a little bit of higher conversion rate there. But regardless, yeah, she's given herself 15 break point opportunities. She's just fine. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And for Sabalenka, this victory assures her that she will end the year inside the top 10. And, you know, that's where she belongs. We always talk about her talent, her upside, and she's played that way down the home stretch. And, you know, it's two indoor events, sporadic events at the end of the year, but you look at the quality of the fields in both of these events she's played. I mean, she beat Vika in Ostrava. Here she's going to have to beat Mertens to win this title, even if she doesn't. It's still, you know, the win she's had on the week. She has just looked really, really good. And, you know, we, I actually had the chance to ask Arena about facing Elise Mertens. Of course, they are U.S. Open champions together in 2019 in doubles, and they've played each other five times already in her career. Uh, let's hear from Sabalenka what she's thinking heading into tomorrow's final. Can I just say, Irina, I think it's better to be very, very good than just very good. So no problem with the very, very good moving forward. That's always a good thing. But uh, to your performance today, uh, four of 15 on breakpoint chances, I'm sure that's something you'd like to be a little bit better on. Uh, you know, you obviously know your opponent in the final at least so well. I get to ask the question, are you looking forward to playing her in the final match of the WTA season? Yes, of course, like on the beginning of this tournament, I, I said, like, it would be really cool to play against Alice uh, in the final here. And now we're in the final and this seems like really uh, great thing. And um, I just want to play this final it's, and uh, she's a great player and I know her every match we played before. It was always... Um, great level and it was a big fight and I'm just really looking forward for this final so again, it was Arena Sabalenka advancing with the three-set win over Krechakova. She'll face Mertens tomorrow. We'll talk about that match more when we get to our guest the lines uh, topic. But for now, Jamie, let's move on and switch gears, talk a little bit about the men's tennis action going on this weekend. Let's start with the final in Sofia. They're a day ahead as the ATP World Tour finals start tomorrow. And it feels fitting that the last non-World Tour finals of the ATP season is won by 19 year old young Italian Yannick Sinner. Sinner, of course, a guy we've talked about so fondly here on our Crack Rackets podcast. Really the past 15, maybe 18 months dating back to his run of success at the challenger level. Then last year winning the next gen finals. Of course, he's been so strong down the home stretch here of 2020 and it culminates with his first ATP title, Jamie. He grinds out a 6-4-3-6-7-6 victory over Vashik Pospisil. That third set breaker living up to its, you know, the, it's the moment of a third set breaker to decide a final. The level of tennis so high. Jamie, your thoughts on the young Italian securing his first victory? Yeah, I mean, look, not much separated these two. Um, you know, we knew what was going in with Pospisil, and it was we're, we're lucky that we got a locked-in informed Vasek Pospisil. Um, you don't always get that, but throughout this tournament, he has looked great, um, and so it's been really, really fun. 
obviously he has the biggest weapons here. Uh, I mean, an indoor hardcourt, this guy is never an easy out. I mean, you saw what he did to Stroof. And so, you know, he's just looked so good throughout this. On the flip side, Yannick Center, just what a phenomenal job from the young Italian to just stay composed. I mean, you know, imagine how difficult it is keeping your composure with somebody who's just bombing aces, bombing serves, hitting forehands huge. I mean, that sort of weaponry that Pospisil possesses, I mean, it just keeps you on edge. And so Center did a great job of keeping himself calm, taking care of his serve how he needed to, and ultimately that was good enough to get him through. But, you know, you go down the lines of stats in this, and I mean, the percentages and the break points, they're just neck and neck, right? You know, even break points, both of them go two for five in this whole match. So it just, they're not much separated, these two. But I do think the better player overall won. Um, it was just Sinner being able to handle the weaponry of Pospisil and take advantage of the opportunities in the big moments. Yeah, to a point you made, for Yannick Sinner to go 18 of 32 on second serve points in this match, when Vashik Pospisil is taking big cuts on that return to serve, he's trying to go big with the forehand, maybe even return and get to the net behind that return ball. There's a lot of pressure on Yannick Sinner on the second serve. And, you know, for Sinner, it even starts with the first serve. He makes 65% of them win 75% of those points. When you're winning 75% of your first serve points, backing that up with 56% of your second serve points, more likely than not, you're going to be in the match. And for Yannick Sinner, it's just, again, he's not afraid of the moment. He is going to play to his game regardless of opponent, regardless the stage he's playing on. And just the way he hits through that forehand, if he get a, gets a look at a forehand cleanly, he takes control of the point. And I think the the you know the film is out on Sinner. It's so clear the game plan for all of his opponents now. Target the center of the court, target the ad side of the court. He doesn't care. He's not gonna get, you know, he's not gonna start rushing points. He's not gonna get risky. He's gonna stay patient. He's got good enough footwork that eventually He'll find an inside-out or inside-in forehand, and he's just comfortable on the run. He gets better and better as a mover. It reminds me of young Tsitsipas in that it's not as flashy as the way a Medvedev or a Zverev moves around the court with their length, but he's just a—he's a good athlete, and it, it's just—it's so clear— He's got the goods, right? It's just so clear that even with Pospisil, who you feel heart-wrenching for, you know, Pospisil was looking for his first title as well, and he's playing such good indoor tennis. I mean, the way he closed the net, it's just a different style than 99% of these players in the top 100. Um, But it's impossible to be anything but impressed with the Sin Man. Yeah, I mean, this is, look, this was... This was coming, right? This is not a surprise that Yannick Center is coming up and getting a title here. Um, you know, the timing seems very appropriate. Look, we're expecting big things from this guy. So I, I don't expect a title like this to, you know, mess with him mentally at all. I, I, I mean, I think it's more anything just sort of, um, I mean, just corroboration for him of like, yeah, I'm doing the right things. It's a good confirmation of that. And, and now he's on a great path. And so as we round the corner into 2021, I mean, I think you got to think that this title under his belt only helps him um, instead of, you know, perhaps with some other players, you would maybe think it's a distraction they would let up. But I think this is just the beginning for him. And I don't think anybody's really disagreeing with that at this point. No, it feels fitting. It feels like we would have had a, this title would have happened sooner had there not been a five and a half month layoff in the Pro Tour, right? And so for yeah. Yannick Sinner, all of the firsts he accomplished with this title, he obviously uh, is the youngest Italian, not obviously, I suppose, but he becomes the youngest Italian tour level champion of the open era. Apologies to Claudio Pistolesi, who loses that record. Claudio, our hearts are still with you, but it's now Yannick Sinner. He becomes the youngest player since Kei Shikori won Delray Beach in two. 2008 to win an ATP Tour title. He, you know, loses the virginity of the class of 2001 in terms of titles on the ATP Tour. He's the first guy to do it. You look at, by the way, the list of the 25 youngest players to win a title since uh, 1990, Jamie. I mean, the company he joins, Djokovic, Federer, Sampras, Roddick, Murray, Nadal, Nishikori, Leighton Hewitt. I mean, the worst case scenario, the worst name I see on this list is like Guillermo Cor. And if you're telling a 19-year-old, hey, you get to be Guillermo Coria, they'd probably be like, all right, I'm down. Like, I can sign up for that career. And so, you know, for Yannick Sinner, he just the company he's joined, Jamie, it's, I mean, the, the guy's legit, right? It, it was a matter of, uh, it was a matter of when, not if, and now we know the when was this week. Yeah, look, I mean, he's he's got to be really happy to add his name to that list. And, um, 
there's not much else to say here, right? We saw this sort of thing coming. I'm really glad that he got a title in before the end of the year. You mentioned it probably would have come sooner had it not been for that layoff. But again, glad it got in now because he does deserve it with all the hard work he's been doing and how he's really been able to ascend his game to that top level. Yeah, he joins Ugo Umber, Casper Ruud, Diego Sabathville, Miamir Kesmenovic, and John Millman as the other first-time tour winners during this 2020 season. My last stat for you, Jamie, of the 30 ATP Tour singles events played this year. 19 of the 30 titles were won by 12 different players born 1995 or later. Over a third of the top 100 is now 25 or younger. I think it's safe to say the next gen is here. Their time on tour, it's now. Yeah, you've been saying that for a while, but until it routinely becomes the majors and the the masters. 19 out of 30. Yeah. Again, I mean, I'm, I'm saying... Take out Nadal and Djokovic Ta- and Federer if you want to, but I those, don't think he was part of the equation this year. Those are the big three. No, I get this, but okay, this is the constant debate we're going to have. You're right. We don't have to do this right now, but there are tournaments that exist outside of the majors, and Dominic Team, by if, the way, won one of those majors this year, and by the way, Daniil Medvedev won he's a Masters event gen. this year. And No, that's true. He's in the in-between. I guess what I am saying is the next gen. I mean, look, we, we do this enough. They're here. Well, I mean, if you want to compare it to the older people who are 30 that aren't the big three, then sure. Yeah, of course they're here. I mean, that's that's a dead giveaway. But the question was never, are they going to be here over those people? It was, when are they going to overtake the real big guns at the top? Uh, The question question wasn't, oh, can Yannick Center win at Sofia? Like, it wasn't a question of, oh, can we have a next-gen player win in Sofia? Like, that that wasn't the question, right? It's when they're going to overtake the top of the game realistically yeah it's great to see them and they're building this momentum and and ultimately you think that's going to help them to get to the top but it's not the end game okay but and this is an argument we're going to have on this week's episode of the deciding point but to make the year-end finals you have to get to the top eight to be a top eight player you have to win week in week out on tour and for 19 of the 30 events we saw this season it was a next-gen guy or someone 25 or younger who was the best player that given week and those sorts of things matter you have you know for Ugo Umber this home stretch of events who knows what it's going to do for his confidence heading into 2021 who knows he comes out the Australian Open makes a quarterfinal or a semifinal, whatever it may be. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying you have to build the confidence week in, week out. And I think these guys now have the confidence week in, week out to where if they're not beating a Djokovic or a Nadal, if it's, if it's you know, another Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, two of the three of them are in the final, that's now a massive disappointment in my mind at the slams. And maybe it was already a massive disappointment to everyone else, but I have now seen enough dominance week in, week out that the expectations heading into 2021, there are no more excuses. These guys are here. It's not, oh, they're still young. Oh, they're still figuring their things out. They figured it out. Now they just have to be better at the slams. Now the expectations have just risen. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's a that's a bit of a different argument than saying, you know, look, we can go back and forth, but the question was never could they win some 500s and 250s, right? The, the reason that, that the lost generation is called the lost generation isn't because their disappointment of winning 250s. It's because of what they haven't done at the biggest tournaments at the highest level. Um, so, again, that's just sort of where I land on this. And, yeah, I mean, look, the next-gen crop is looking better and better, and that's what we want. But, I mean by this criteria they were already here so i it just really depends on how you want to frame it at this point look they're winning masters events consistently for zero it was semifinals at the australian open finals at the u.s open we saw shapovalov make a quarterfinal Pass french open semifinals again yeah, but shapovalov also Paris. made a finals of a masters last year so that's what i'm saying it yeah but that was after a it. retirement but that was after again okay yeah, so he right. made the, the semis context... which is another thing you just listed no, so okay. it really just you're, depends you're how you right. want to frame it and now we have enough of a sample size where it's like, okay, these guys are doing this routinely. To expect anything less than semifinals at the majors, that will be a disappointment. Case in point, again, Andre Rublev, another— uh, You know what? You're right. Well, well, we will have this debate another time. We can move on. In the meantime, just want to quickly run through uh, the results at the challenger level before we get to our final segment. You look at the action in Bratislava and in Kerry. Uh, should be a really fun championship Sunday in Bratislava. Thomas Mahak, the 20-year-old uh, Czech, it makes the— 
the final after he ends the run of Lucas Klein, 6-2. He's going to take on German Max Martyr, the former top 50 player back from injury, has looked really good down the home stretch. He knocks off number four-seeded Frenchman Antoine Huang, 6-3-6-4, to advance to his first final, I believe, since 2018 for Mahak. He's looking to make uh, to win his second challenger title of the year. He will make his top 200 debut on Monday, no matter what happens in Sunday's final. Of course, in carry, it's going to be Pranesh Gunaswaran, a walkover victory over Mikhail Torpegard, taking on Dennis Kudla, who was a three-set winner over Daniel Galan. That was a top 100 level match. It was a really, really fun one, folks. Jamie, your thoughts on the action happening in carry and elsewhere uh, across the globe? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, look, there's probably a bit of bias here, but really exciting about what's going on in Kerry. Um, I think Kudla has done a great job of just moving quietly through this draw and doing what he needs to. Uh, you know, Galan, we saw him display some great tennis um, earlier in the season, and so Kudla, phenomenal job of really riding the ship after losing a tight first set in this one. Um, unfortunate, honestly, for Torp in this one. You would have loved to see Torpegard continue to make a deep run in this tournament. You know, the level he was playing was so, so good um, and so promising to watch. And so that that's really sort of, unfortunately, that's more of the storyline than anything else for me is just because I really wish we could have gotten to that. And, and Gus Warren, honestly, I mean, yes, he's been playing some great tennis, but at this point, I'm, I think I'm okay to say that he is lucky to find himself um, at this stage of the tournament because not only gets a walk over here in the previous round, he is... Um, let's just say the beneficiary of quite a choke job um, from Bellucci. Uh, Bellucci served for it. He was up 5-1 in the third set breaker. So the fact that Gunnar Swarn finds himself in the final, hey, maybe he'll make a great deal of it and really capitalize on the experience. But realistically, I, I don't think that he is really going to hold a candle to Kudla in that final match. Here's the thing, and having talked to Lisa Mertens, I imagine Dennis Kudla, similarly, he'll be just fine heading into tomorrow's match, but today's semifinal against Galan was very, very True. physical, particularly that first set, and so for Gunaswaran to have a day off, that's invaluable for all of these players, just to get True. that extra 24 hours of recovery, but I agree with you, the level we've seen from Dennis Kudla this week, his willingness to move forward, and I know he's working with former doubles player Robert Lindstedt now as his coach, uh, it's paying dividends early on clearly. It's been a really high level from him, but I agree that should be a really fun final as well. But with that in mind, let's get to our final segment. It's a new one we've been doing here, our second time, I suppose, uh, on our mini break podcast. But as many of you know, we like to give our picks each and every day for our GSP aces of the day to help set the scene for those aces of the day to preview Sunday's matches. We thought we'd play a game of guess the lines. Here's how it works. We're going to name the five matches we'll be watching closely, or I should say, We'll name. Uh, we'll be watching Linz's final, and then the two Sunday matches at the World Tour finals, as well as the two Monday matches. So I suppose suppose the four first round matches at the World Tour finals, and we're just going to guess the lines for them. We're going to give our takes. Of course, we will then turn to our friends at DraftKings for the official lines going into this match. I will say this, Jamie. I got one of these lines exactly correct, which I am very very proud of uh, heading into this. But before we start. The segment. Westoff, give me a guess the line sound effect, please. All right, Jamie, let's start with the final WTA match of the year. It's Arena Sabalenka taking on Elisa Mertens. This is going to be the sixth time in their career they play Sabalenka, winner of the last two matches between these two, as well as carrying a 3-2 and two record heading into this one. Now they've played on hard court three times, Sabalenka 2-1 and one in those occasions. In the five matches they've played, three of them have gone three sets, so I'm sure we both expect this one to be close. I'll let you go first on this one, Jamie. Give me your line for Sabalenka Mertens. As a quick preface, uh, listeners, please note that Gruskin has the tab open in front of him. So I, I got. Look, I only I'm said I got say, one right. I got one right. Not the rest of them. Just one. Uh, yeah, listen, coincidence. I don't know. It <laughs> seems it seems a little sketchy over there from the Alex Gruskin side. But hey, I'll play along. I'll be a good sport. Um, I, I mean, I come into this thinking Sabalenka is a slight favorite. Um, if I had to put it into numbers, which I did, I'd go Sabalenka minus 140, uh, Mertens plus 110. 
Sabalenka minus one. So, okay, here's the truth. I have the Bavada lines open. It's the Bavada line I got correct. I apologize to my friends at DraftKings. We're going to go switch to the DraftKings lines now. Forget I even mentioned that other brand. I don't even know what I was saying. Um, and in that case, I did not Bovada, get any of Bovada, don't bother lines. her. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, great shot to you. In that case, I did not get any of these lines exactly right. Okay, you said minus 140 plus 110, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. I said Mm -hmm. minus 165 Sabalenka, Mertens plus 125. The DraftKings line for the Lins final, Sabalenka minus 150, Mertens plus 120. So we split that. We're both 20 off exactly. Hey, great shot to us, by the way. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to the fact that, look, when there are no secrets between two players' games, when they've played five times as frequently and, you know, as recently as these two have, these five matches coming uh, all since April of 2018, it's going to be a close match, and neither of these players are playing so well that you think they're going to blow the other one out, and certainly uh, Mertens has had the more rigorous pathway to the final, but the way she returns serve, the way she can disrupt the rhythm of Sabalenka, it's a pick in this one. I think Sabalenka has earned the right to be the favorite because, of course, she's got the biggest weapons in this match. It's on her racket. If she serves well, she probably wins this one, but minus 150 to plus 120, that feels about right. Yeah, again, I think it's about right. It's right in between you and me. Feels fine. Yeah, so we'll call that a split victory. We'll call that we share that one. That's a tie. All right, let's move on to the World Tour final. Oh, I guess actually quickly, give me a pick. Which way are you leaning? Uh, I I do think Sabalenka um, in this one. I I think, you know, potentially here it comes down to a a lot of the times. Whoever is the opponent of Mertens, if they're able to impose their game, then they might be able to win this. Mertens just is not going to have as many weapons on the court. And, and Sabalenka, though, I will say, if she do, if she has the same conversion rate that she did in the semis, she's going to have a lot of trouble. Because going 4 for 15, A, I mean, I think that's an anomaly and a fluke. I don't expect that to happen again. But if Mertens is able to stave off that high of a percentage of break points, you got to feel like Mertens would be able to come through here. But regardless, I'm still going Sabalenka. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I do think Mertens will have a better read on the Sabalenka serve than most of her opponents because, again, she's seen that serve so many times. Um, at the same time, if Sabalenka executes the serve and can play her plus one tennis, the ball is on her uh, racket. And I just think she is playing so well right now. She's so confident, and she just seems to be in a really good place mentally, and I think she wins that match as well. But again, it will be a close one. More than anything, I do expect it to go three sets. That would probably be the bet. I am most confident in making. But with that in mind, let's move now to the World Tour Finals, and we'll start with Sunday's matches. And by the way, my line isn't exactly right, but it's very, very close uh, to the one I got exactly right on that other account. But let's start with the first match, the Battle of the Tees, Team and Tsitsipas. I butchered this one completely. I had the wrong favorite. I had Tsitsipas minus 135 to Teams plus 115, particularly given this was a rematch of last year's year-end championship match and it's on an indoor hard court jamie what's your line before i give you the actual answer uh i had team as the favorite at minus 180 sitsipas underdog plus 120 so i think we split this one again i i think i'm a little bit bro you got the wrong underdog no so here's why though because team is minus 122 and sitsipas is plus 102 so essentially it's a pick them and look it's not like i had sitsipas as a prohibitive favorite i had him as a slight favorite. you're you're not taking that one from me underdog dude you have team at minus 200 that's way off i bet no minus 180 so first of all when sitsipas ends up winning this minus 180 First of all, when Tsitsipas ends up winning this you're match— just not, You're I'm just dodging the point. First of all, when Tsitsipas ends up at winning this match, my line, much like last time, is going to look much better than yours upon reflection. Secondly, let's do the math. What did you say yours was exactly? Well, are you also going to add some numbers in for the fact that you got the no, wrong No, let's just favorite? go strictly math. I'm 37 off on team. I am 2. 37 off on Tsitsipas as well. Wow, good for me on this math here. So that's 74. Your minus 180 is already 58 off plus 20. I was closer. I was closer given the numbers. Bro, don't even try this. I, I I'll was understand closer. you adding. I'll understand you adding if it's like Djokovic and you're, you know, within go. 200 as the under or as you know the what? favorite still. We'll let the listeners decide. How about that? We'll let the listeners. Dude, you had decide. the wrong favorite. I just yeah. thought team would be more of a favorite. We'll you completely had it flip flopped. 
We'll let the listeners decide. Fine. They can be the judge. But That's in totally terms fine. of this matchup, CT Pass versus team, who do you got tomorrow and why? Obviously, you think team is the favorite, but curious tennis-wise how you think it matches up. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, realistically, obviously, I'm guessing the line here. Uh, I, I do think it'll be closer than sort of the line that I put down. I, I do think team wins this, though. Um, again, we've talked about this a couple times, but Dominic team usually comes into an event like this just gassed, um, you know, with so many matches on the body. And that's just not, it's not really the case this time. Um, and so I think that's going to help him a lot. Obviously, you know, Sitsipas has a lot of confidence, knows how to win on these courts, right? He's won this title before, so that definitely carries some weight. But for me, I think team is going to be in good shape, and, you know, he's not just going to be fatigued out of the gate. I think he's going to be ready to play. And, and that power, um, I think he's able to break down the Sitsipas forehand. Um, you know, I, I think we'll see some Sitsipas sprayed shank forehands as we do sometimes. I think team's backhand is also a little better. I just like Dominic Team in this one. If this match was outdoors, I would take Dominic Team as the favorite. But the fact that this match is indoors, I just think that allows Tsitsipas to execute his game that much better. The serve is that much more effective. His plus one ball has that much more bite. It's that much easier for him to knock off volleys at the net, which is, of course, what he wants to do. And look, this is the eighth matchup between these two since January of 2018. It's the eighth matchup in their career. Dominic Team a 4-3 lead right now. He's 3-2 and two on hard courts as well. But... You know, I think this is a pick-em. Tsitsipas beat him 7-6 in the third, right, uh, over team in last year's tour finals. I think whoever serves better on the given day, it's it's literally that simple. Whoever makes more first serves probably wins the match. That's how thin the margins are between these two players. But I just didn't love the way Dominic team looked at the end of the season, right? And I know he doesn't have as many tournaments on his body as usual, but it's not as though he took some, you know, it's not as though he took things easy during the five and a half months off. I think he still racked up 30 matches. Matches during that time frame. And so I like Tsitsipas in this match. I do still think it's a pick 'em. Obviously, my line reflects the fact that I probably will end up making this an ace of the day and going with Tsitsipas since he's an underdog. And I just think that's wrong. Who do you think wins tomorrow, Jamie? I'm still picking team. Um, I think he's had two weeks off. I, I think it's it's sometimes it's dicey to bet on a guy like Dominic team, but look, he's had those two weeks off, and I think he's going to be fresh and ready. Yeah, look, disagreements are always healthy between the two of us. Um, all right, th- this next one is the one I got pretty much exactly right. So we'll say, for the sake of argument, you're wrong. But I will just, because I know I'm going to win this one, I will give you that last, I'll say it's 1-0-1 heading into line number three. Nadal versus Rublev tomorrow. Give me your line. Um, this one was very hard for me. Uh, I put Nadal minus 350, Rublev plus 195. Oh, you missed this one. You missed this one. And so I had Nadal minus 150, Rublev plus 125. That's where it, what it's at elsewhere. On our friends at DraftKings, Nadal minus 148, Rublev plus 123. And this is just a reflection of people, you know, I, I think, so I think what you did, the respect for Nadal. I can totally understand it, right? You have Rafael Nadal in the draw, usually regardless of who he's playing, if it's not Novak Djokovic, he starts out at about minus 250. I think this is a pick of people saying, hey, Andre Rublev on an indoor hardcourt is just better than Rafa right now. And I can't say I disagree with that logic. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it makes sense. Um, I, I obviously I overdid it as Nadal being the favorite bit because... I think I was trying to counteract the fact that I thought this match would be closer um, than what the lines would reflect. So obviously I was incorrect in that one. And, and they are also thinking um, that Rublev has a decent shot here. And, and certainly he does, right? There's there's no reason to think that he wouldn't at this point. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. If we get into pick who's actually going to win this match, it's tough to bet against Rublev, but I think I would do it right now. Obviously his tennis has looked better than Nadal's, but you know, there's a lot there's a lot of weight that's associated with the name Rafael Nadal, and I think just his grit might be able to get him through this sort of match. I also think this is a line that and you know, again I we both don't look at these lines before we get us, but if I had to bet, I bet it started out closer to what you had it. I bet Nadal opened up as like a minus 250 favorite and Rublev was around plus 200 and people just pounded the Rublev plus 200 and so it came back yeah. a little bit because I agree with you. I was surprised. To, you know, my bet was I was going to come on and make a case of why I thought Rublev was going to be a value pick because I thought you might be right that I might end up closer to what you're at, but what what's clear is that that would have been a value pick and that people 
people who have watched mm-hmm. a lot of ATP action and a lot of the statistics from this year will all point to Rublev being the better player right now on an indoor yep. hard court. Now, they've only played once before. It was the 2017 U.S. Open quarterfinals. It was a 1-2-2 two and two victory, I believe, for Rafa Nadal on that occasion. And, you know, obviously a lot has changed since then. So if you were to give me a pick tomorrow, who are you taking? Uh, well, real quick, I just got to say this. Isn't it so funny how we're agreeing that Rublev has just looked better at tennis and obviously people are thinking that and yet Nadal still remains the favorite. Yeah, like, that's, that's just a how much. I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, along that sort of line of thinking, I am still um, putting Nadal as the favorite here. Um, I, I think Rublev, tennis-wise, again, he's looked so good, so you don't want to bet against him. But, you know, you also don't want to bet against a guy like Rafa Nadal. And I think he's going to be hungry to get this title. I think he's going to have to make some adjustments. Um, so maybe the first match isn't the the one that I would, you know, bet on him for. I don't know. It's difficult. I would, I would feel much better betting on Nadal after seeing him play a match or two on these courts. But regardless, for the sake of argument here, I'm going to put Nadal to win this one. I don't disagree with you. I think a lot of this is a byproduct of Nadal just didn't look that great in Paris. Like the ball, no, he just, didn't. It, there wasn't that much sting and there wasn't that much bite. And no. obviously Rublev has looked so good. But with Rublev providing Nadal a little bit of pace, I think Nadal looks better in this match than he did uh, in Paris. And obviously yeah. he knows he's never won a year-end finals. This is a great opportunity for him. Uh, so I... I'm staying away from that one. I want no part of it. I'm afraid you're not even going to pick a winner. No, because, no, no, no. I, I think, I think Rublev does win. But I'm saying from an ace of the day standpoint, sure. I want no part of that match. And again, I think safe to say one, one, and one heading into these last two matches. So hopefully we'll end up with a winner. Now let's start with Zverev Medvedev. That's a match we saw as recently as that Paris indoors final for the two of these players. This is now the eighth time they will match up in their careers. Zverev five and two head to head, but Medvedev's won two of the last three. They played in last Last year's tour finals, Zverev, similarly, after losing a final in the Shanghai Masters to Medvedev, came back and beat Medvedev four in six in the round robin. Do you want me to start? Yeah, I'll start with this one. I have Medvedev minus 125, Lord Voldemort minus 105 heading into this battle. What's your line? Mine's similar. Um, I actually thought about this match in a very similar way that I did the savalenka Merton setup. And so mm-hmm. just to reflect that and for simplicity's sake so that I didn't have to think anymore, I just copied the line over. So I put Medvedev at minus 140, Zverev at plus 110. So slightly more spread than you, but realistically basically the same idea. No, you win this one. Uh, Medvedev minus 150, Zverev plus 125. Mm, okay. What I didn't factor in, and it makes me a little bit upset, is that, and I should have thought about this, it's the off-court stuff, right? To And I hate to refer to it as the off-court stuff, because of course it's reprehensible what Alex Vierov has been accused of doing to his ex-girlfriend, Alia Sharipova. We've talked about that on this podcast already, but that probably did play an effect on these lines. And, you know, from a tennis perspective, it's a toss-up. These two know each other's game. It's really going to be who serves better as well. I get why Medvedev's the favorite, right? Because he just won. At the same time, this exact situation happened last year, and the result was flipped. And it's just so hard to beat a player twice in a row. Yeah, and and I will say this. This is the interesting part, too. You you mentioned the off-court, you know, let's just say crap that's been going on around Zverev. And look, it's very interesting because I thought that that would have more of an impact, too, because this was coming out during... Um, you know, the Paris Masters, and even didn't it also technically start coming out before that in his second run in Cologne, I believe, right? Um, I believe and he so. just And he just looked almost perfect. And so that was honestly the scarier part for me. I was like, oh my God, it's just, it doesn't seem to affect him, which again, another just gross part of this, right? Is like, how is this not impacting this guy? Um, because he comes out and again, Nadal not in his best form, but takes out Nadal in straight sets. Looks like he was going to win that final. Ultimately, Medvedev comes back, you know, took out Stan Wawrinka, who, look, he wasn't at his best, but was looking very good. And so, you know, you start to wonder, is this really making an impact? And, you know, part of you, I don't really know exactly how to articulate this, is, you know, you would think, you would hope that it starts to take effect on him, right? Um, And so I understand why that may be the case. But, you know, realistically, too, it may just be the tennis, right? I mean, we just saw Medvedev beat this guy on an indoor hardcourt. 
look, we were both we were both decently close on this one. Um, I had Medvedev a slight more favorite, and looks like DraftKings had him even more of a favorite. But still, regardless, I mean, this is a really tight match. Yeah, I mean, should he even be playing? No, he should be suspended pending an investigation. I think yeah. that's something all of us can agree on. But the fact that he is on court, I just think from a tennis perspective, I think Alex Virov, when he serves well, is the best te- male tennis player right now on an indoor hard court, not named Novak Djokovic. And I just think... I just think it's a toss-up. Like, I just think it's—again, uh, last week's match was a three-set battle. Zverev really could have won that match in straight sets, and I don't—I I, I guess from a tennis perspective—well, first of all, I have a rule, no more picking Lord Voldemort at all on this podcast. But from a gambling perspective, this match would—I just stay away from anything but the over in it. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's fair. All right. Well, then, our last match, and we'll, we'll again— Prohibitive. We pending what the listeners say. One, two, one. You are currently leading. Schwartzman versus Djokovic. Give me your final line. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got Schwartzman to win now. Uh, so, Djokovic, a heavy <laughs> favorite here. I think the question just becomes how heavy is too heavy. Um, and so, I put Djokovic at minus six fifty. Um, which then I was thinking, okay, where exactly do I want to put Schwartzman? Um, I would put him at plus three eighty. Oh. So I just box you out on this one. Very, very, very close. I just box you out. You had Djokovic minus 650. I had Djokovic minus 600. Djokovic minus 625. So we split that. Hey, great shot to us. Schwartzman, you said, sorry, tell me what, you said plus 380, right? Mm -hmm. I said plus 400. He's plus 475. So again, Mm. we're splitting hairs here. Um, but for the sake of splitting hairs, I'm going to give myself the slight edge there to call it a tie. Two, two, and one. We all go home happy. I don't think we have to tie. <laughs> I should say I go home happy. Um, we we don't have to talk about this matchup too much. Djokovic 5-0 and career head-to-head against Schwartzman. Schwartzman, when asked for his ideal group, he said he wanted, I believe it was uh, Tsitsipas, team and Rublev. Or was it Nadal, Tsitsipas, and Rublev? Something like that. He ended up getting exactly what he did not want in Djokovic, ZRF, Medvedev. I think Djokovic rolls him in this one. I think Schwartzman's going to put up a fight, but I feel like Djokovic comes out with a fire in this event. Yeah, I mean, you hope so, right? I mean, part of you hopes so, part of you doesn't, so that we can see someone else win. But yeah, at the same time, you would like to see him redeem himself because the last that we saw Djokovic, you you, you don't want to see him end this uh, 2020 on that sour of a note, right? Mm Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with you, and I think odds makers reflect that as well. It's just from a matchup perspective. Everything Schwartzman does, Djokovic does better. Like, it's just, it's true, right? So, I don't know what, I don't, like, sure, the case for Schwartzman is Djokovic did not look great against Sinego, but he talked about why he didn't look great against Sinego, so I don't think any of that was unexpected. Uh, Again, Djokovic minus 600, or minus 625, Schwartzman plus uh, plus four, what was he, plus 450? plus 475, whatever it may be. Uh, Either way, it should be a really fun Sunday of action. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of that action, preview the week ahead, and more. Uh, If you have missed anything, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You can find this podcast, our Cracked Interviews, Great Shot Podcast from the week, and so much more. Of course, you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flagner and Daniel Wackstoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, to our friends at Midwest Sports and Draft uh, and Aerobar. Excuse me, go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACK15. Jamie, I went 20 more minutes than I promised you. I apologize for that. It was inevitable, of course. And I, with that in mind, I will give you the last word. Any final thoughts? Under an hour. So still kind of a win. <laughs> That's a good place to leave it. I agree. Well, then, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.